Mark chapter 4, starting at verse 35. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in, their, in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. There was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So we're going to cover a lot in a short amount of time today. So I'll just give us give you a little overview of where we're going. We're going to see three things that Jesus does in this passage and then we're going to have an application that we're going to draw from that. Well, over the last couple of years, I feel like I've been kind of training my sleeping muscles, so to speak, a little bit. Uh, before I got married, um, I was kind of a finicky sleeper, and it, the situation had to be just right for me to be able to fall asleep or stay asleep. had to be completely dark, no noise, no distractions, no interruptions, and if that wasn't met... It, hard, it was hard for me to sleep. And each, you know, when I had to get up in the morning, I would set an alarm clock for the time I needed to get up. And as soon as the alarm clock went off, I was up, ready to go, and go, to go on with the day and get ready for the day. Well, I got married, and my wife had a different habit in regards to alarm clocks. See, for Stephanie, an alarm clock was not the time that you got up. It was the time that you started to think about getting up. So she would often set her alarm clock much earlier than she actually needed to get up with the intention that she wasn't actually going to get up at that time. So she would set the alarm really early, and then it would go off, and I would be up, ready to go, and she'd be there sleeping and pressing the snooze button. So this happened for uh, a while where I was just waking up every time the alarm clock went off. Then I started to get accustomed to it, and now I can just... It can just go off. I don't hear it one bit. To have the alarm clock sometimes go off two or three times and I'm just out. This has transformed my life, revolutionized my life. I'm working on this skill of being able to fall asleep anywhere that I am. Some of you are working on that right now. (laughs) Probably not the best venue. But I, I, I admit I'm not perfect at it, but I'm working on it. You know, I've, I've gone to some parties before, and uh, the one party I went to, I remember, uh, I just sat on the couch, found my happy place, and there's kids screaming, there's a TV on, people talking, just close my eyes, pretend like I'm not asleep. So I'm working on that, but I don't think I'm any match for Jesus. There's a huge storm that's raging. The disciples are probably screaming, the water is pouring into the boat, and yet Jesus is asleep. He's asleep in the stern of the boat. It's interesting that he would be asleep. This is the only time in the Scriptures that Jesus is described as being asleep. In the midst of this dangerous storm, a threat to his life, screaming, noise, perhaps thunder, wind. And there he is curled up in the stern of the boat, sleeping. So this tells us a couple things about Jesus. First, it tells us he was a human being. He got tired. It also tells us something else. 
It also tells us that Jesus had an incredible trust in God. Now, when we think about this, well, does that mean if we're in danger, we should just go to sleep? Does that mean we should just kind of avoid danger at all costs? No. But Jesus knew why He had come to the earth. He knew His purpose. And He knew that God was going to fulfill His purposes through Him and that He didn't need to worry about anything else until God's purposes were, being, were fulfilled. And so He could rest. He could sleep. He could take it easy, so to speak, because He knew that God was going to fulfill His purposes through Him. And for those of us who are believers in Jesus, we also have that same assurance. Not just physically sleeping, but also spiritually that we can rest in Christ, knowing that He has our lives in His hands, knowing that He'll fulfill His purposes through us, and there's nothing that can thwart God's purposes. So we see that Jesus sleeps in this passage, and He rests in God and rests in God's will. And then we see that Jesus silences. He's he's awoken by the disciples, and He silences the storm. It says in the text that he rebuked the wind, and he says, peace or be quiet and be still. And it says in the text that they obeyed him. The words that Jesus uses in this passage are interesting words. They're words that are not usually used in relationship to inanimate objects. For example, if I told you, what would you think if I told you, well, my phone was making this beeping noise, so I rebuked my phone and I said, be quiet stop making this noise, and then after I did that, my phone obeyed me. You'd probably think that I was a little bit crazy. These aren't words that you use in relationship to an inanimate object. It might be words that you'd use in relationship to another person, to an animal or something, but not in relationship to something inanimate. So why does Jesus do this? Why does He use these words that we would normally use in relationship to another person to describe His stilling of the seas and the wind? I think we need to get a little bit of an Old Testament background if we're going to understand why maybe he does that. In the Old Testament, the image of water was used for a number of different uh, purposes. And one of the things that water symbolizes in the Old Testament is judgment. Uh, Remember back in Genesis 6 that God said that the thoughts and intentions of man's heart was evil and only evil continually. And God sent a flood as a judgment to destroy the earth. Then we see a little bit later that when God's people leave Egypt, they're uh, backed up against the Red Sea. Pharaoh's armies are chasing after them. And God parts the Red Sea, and the Israelites go through on dry ground. But then after that, the Egyptians go through, and then the waters come upon them, and God judges them by means of the water. And then there's another story that's remarkably similar to the story we see uh, a of Jesus here in Mark. It's the story of Jonah. God commands Jonah to go to Nineveh to speak a word of judgment against it. But Jonah has no interest in going to Nineveh to preach there, so he heads heads on a boat to go to Tarshish. But while he's on his way, a great storm arose. The boat is sinking. And Jonah, just like Jesus, he's sleeping. And then they come and wake him, and they tell him to call upon his God. They say basically the same thing that they came to Jesus. Don't you care that we're drowning? Call upon your God. Do something. 
And he calls upon God, apparently, and then he says, Here, here's what you need to do. If you want to be saved, if you want the boat not to sink, you have to hurl me overboard into the sea. Because this is all on account of me that this is happening. And so they throw him into the sea, and Jonah 1.15 says that after Jonah was hurled overboard, the sea ceased from its raging. It was quiet. It was still. So there's a number of parallels between the story of Jonah and the story of Jesus. But there's also some differences. The difference is, first and foremost, is the way that the sea is calmed. For Jonah, Jonah must be thrown into the sea for the sea to be calmed. Jesus just commands for the sea to be calmed and the sea is calmed. There's another difference. Jonah would rather die than follow God's plan for his life. Jesus would rather die than not follow God's plan for his life. So going back to that question, why does Jesus use these words in relationship to, uh, to the sea and calming the sea? Why does he use these words that are usually uh, used in relationship to other people or animals? Why does he say, be quiet, be still? At the very least, it's a symbol of, God, of Jesus silencing the enemies of God's people who seek to destroy them and seek to harm them. So at the very least, it's a symbol of that. But there might be something even deeper. That it may be that when Jesus is silencing these waters, the winds and the wave, He's silencing the waters of judgment that sought to overtake the disciples. That He's saying, because of course someone had to be thrown overboard for the sea to be calmed. For God's wrath to be appeased. For judgment to uh, to be appeased. And Jesus would later be hurled into the waters of judgment for His people at the cross. And because of what He was going to do, He had authority to say to the wind and the waves, peace, be still, be quiet. Don't lay a hand on My children. I've taken care of them. So Jesus sleeps. Jesus silences. And then finally we see one thing. He startles. He startles. or Jesus startles. Now, it's interesting to me as I read this story. I can understand that the disciples were afraid as the wind was coming, the water was filling up their boat. But then it tells us in the text that they were perhaps even more afraid after the sea was calmed. It says in the text, they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? I mean, it's interesting that they would be so afraid after the danger was gone. But especially when they had seen Jesus' miracles, they had seen Jesus do miraculous things. But this brought Jesus into a different category for them. Look at uh, a passage in Psalm 107. And as we look at this passage, see what thoughts come to your mind. Psalm 107, verse 28 to 31 says this, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and He brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works for the children of man. See, when Jesus is calming the storm, He's showing His disciples that He's not just another miracle worker. He's not just a great rabbi. 
He's not only just a Messiah, a Savior, but He's God Himself. He has the power over the wind and the waves that He's God with skin on. And the fact that they're in the presence of God is terrifying to them. And they're so terrified at the prospect of who they're dealing with. So He startles them. So Jesus sleeps, Jesus silences, and Jesus startles the disciples. So how can we apply this passage to our life? What difference does this passage make to us 2,000 plus years after this was written? I think that we can apply it to our lives, lives in this way. Faith in Jesus tells our fears to be quiet. Faith in Jesus tells our fears to be quiet. We all have different fears in our lives. Chapman University comes out with a survey of American fears each year. And the top ten fears uh, this past year, 2016, were these. Corruption of government officials, 60.6% of people feared that. 41% feared terrorist attacks. 39.9% feared not having enough money for the future. 38.5% feared being a victim of terror. 38.5% feared government restrictions on firearms and ammunition. 38.1% feared people that they loved dying. 37.5% feared economic or financial collapse. 37.1% feared identity theft. Uh, 35.9% feared people who they loved becoming seriously ill. And uh, 35.5% had... um, fears in relationship to health care. One of the chief leaders of the study, of this survey, made an insightful comment related to these fears. He said, people often fear what they cannot control. And we find continued evidence of that in our top fears. I think that's really insightful and astute comment. Some of Jesus' disciples were experienced fishermen. They had been on the Sea of Galilee for years. They knew the geography. They knew when to go out, when not to go out. They knew what to do in the case of a storm. But apparently in this situation, maybe they weren't expecting it for some reason. Maybe it was a bigger storm than they'd ever experienced before. For whatever reason, this storm took them by surprise. And everything that they knew how to do was failing. The water was still pouring into the boat. The ship was sinking. They, couldn't, they were, felt like they were out of control, even though they tried their best right the boat. In the same way, I think we do the same thing. We fear things we can't control. We fear whether we'll lose our job, whether we'll have enough money to pay the rent, whether our health will hold up, whether our kids will grow up okay. Now, fear. When we talk about fear, fear isn't always a bad thing. Fear, in essence, gives us kind of a warning about something that's coming up. But fear can be bad when it dwells with us, when it keeps us paralyzed and afraid, of what, uh, afraid to do what God is calling us to do. And the Scriptures tell us that God doesn't intend for us to live in fear. The phrase, do not be afraid, might be uh, one of the most f- uh, frequently, um, the frequently repeated commands that God gives us in the Scripture. Some people have said that there's 365 times in the Bible uh, where it says not to be afraid, one for each day of the year. And God intends for us to live lives of courage, live lives of strength, even while we're walking through difficulty, even when we're in difficult times. Psalm 23, verse 4 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, 
for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And when Jesus' disciples see Jesus sleeping in the stern of the boat, they, were probably, ha- they probably had some questions that were coming to their minds. First and foremost, has Jesus forgotten about us? Doesn't he care that we're dying, that we're about to, that the ship is about to sink? Maybe they were wondering, too, has God rejected us? Has he forgotten about us? Has he forgotten about his Messiah? Sometimes when we're facing storms in our lives, we think the same things. Has God forgotten about us? Has He left us to our own devices? I've been praying and seeking God, and still I'm in the midst of a storm. I've done everything that I know how to do, and still the water is pouring into the boat. And we wonder, is God really there? We wonder, has God forgotten about us? Is God asleep? But for those of us who are believers in Jesus, this passage and other passages of Scripture in the Scriptures show us that we can trust Him. And we can trust Him for two reasons. The first is that He has power to control things that we can't control. He's the one who has power over the winds and the waves. That at His word, the mountains melt before Him. He breathes and the enemies of God are dried up. The God who raised up Jesus from the grave, defeating sin and death once and for all, is with us as believers. In other words, Jesus has the strength and the power to control those things we can't control. He isn't surprised by our financial struggles. He isn't surprised by our relational difficulties. He isn't surprised by anything that happens in our country and in our world. He's in complete control of our lives. He has the power to handle the things we can't control. But also, we see in the Scriptures that the God who is in control, is also a God who cares for us, a God who is good. We see that Jesus entered into the waters of judgments for us so that we would not need to experience the wrath of God. Paul tells us in Romans 8 that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ and that Jesus arose from the grave and is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us presently. And literally that there is nothing that can happen in this life that can separate us from God's purpose and God's love. So there's two questions that we need to ask ourselves and we need to answer as we look at this passage. The same question that the disciples had to answer and deal with. The first question, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who then is this? We need to ask ourselves the question, what what do we believe about Jesus? Do we believe that He was just a teacher, someone who did some nice things for people, did some miracles, a humanitarian? Or do we believe that He's the Savior of the world who came to the earth to die on the cross for our sins, rising again on the third day, and that He has the power to change our lives, the power to handle our problems, and the power to bring us beyond the grave? So we need to ask ourselves, what are we going to do with Jesus? Jesus. Who then is this man who has this power? Many of us would agree with, uh, with the statements in the Scripture. But for those of us who are believers, there's a second question we need to ask ourselves. If we believe those things about Jesus, then why are we so afraid? That's a question that Jesus asked His disciples. Why are you so afraid? 
Have you still no faith? If we believe that God has that kind of power in our lives, then why don't we trust Him? Now, we all have fears in our lives. You know, those fears might be, some of them we held in common, some of them might be unique to us. We all have different fears. And no matter how far you walk in your Christian life, we'll still have the appearance of fear in our life. The question is what we do with that fear. Uh, my pastor growing up, a Pastor Jerry from the chapel, um, he used to say something like this, and I don't remember the exact words. But he says, faith doesn't mean that you don't have fear anymore. It's that when faith and fear coexist, and faith wins, out and wins the day. See, as believers in Jesus, when we experience fear, our, our faith can tell our fears to be quiet. When we're, as believers in Jesus, when we experience fear, our faith in Jesus can tell our fears to be quiet. Be quiet. You don't have a hold on me. Be quiet. You can't control me. Be quiet. My God is greater than my fears. So when we start to grow anxious and start asking ourselves the what if questions, what if this happens? What if that happens? What if the other thing happens? We can combat that with the love of Christ and the gospel. We can silence our fears by the power of the Holy Spirit. And tell those things to be quiet. Knowing that our God has the power to handle the problems in our lives. And also that He cares for us deeply. A number of years ago, there was a Good Friday service uh, in a place um, in Chittanong, Bangladesh. In Dambara Baptist Church. The place was completely packed. Little children sat on the floor in the aisles and across the front of the church. Rows of people stood in the back turning their necks to see the crucifixion scene as it was depicted on the television screen uh, from the Jesus film. People were weeping and gasps of unbelief could be heard in the, sh- in the shocked hush as Jesus was crucified. As the Bengalis watched, they were feeling the agony of Jesus' pain and the disappointment of the disciples. That emotional moment, one young boy in the crowded church suddenly cried out, Do not be afraid. He gets up again. I saw it before. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, we don't need to be afraid because He gets back up again. We don't need to be afraid because He conquered sin, death, and the grave once and for all in the cross and resurrection. Jesus has entered into the waters of judgment for you. He's defeated death and sin once and for all. And He has the power and authority to deal with the problems in our lives. So when we face fear, through faith in Christ, we can tell our fears, be quiet. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your love for us that was demonstrated in the cross. As it says in the Scriptures, if You didn't despair Your own Son, will You not also give us all things? God, we thank You that You also have the power to change our lives, to handle our problems, that there's nothing that happens in our lives that takes You by surprise. We may not understand it. We may not like it. We may question it, but we know that ultimately You're in control. Ultimately, You have our best interests in mind. God, I just pray that we would be people of courage, that when fears assail us, that we would turn to You in faith to be able to silence those fears and walk forward to do what you've called us to do. 
God, we just pray that you'd just give us that strength through your Holy Spirit today. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.